The scripture today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. So you guys, it's my great privilege to see Matt. Pastor Matt is ready to go. Like he is ready to come up here and preach. Um, That's the kind of spirit we like at Bee Creek. Um, He's going to be our new associate pastor. He's coming here a little early to preach his first sermon, but he will start part-time with us May 1st. And then full-time July 1st, I think is that's the appointment day, right? That's We're saying hope. that. That's yeah. what's happening. Yes. Um, and he's wonderful, you guys. He's wonderful. We are so blessed that um, he's being appointed here. He's a wonderful match for our DNA, for our passion, for mission and outreach. Um, he's, he's quite energetic. He's going to lead us in new ways and help help the church continue to grow. So we're really excited. The cool thing is he's about to, we're thinking he's going to graduate in That's, May. That's the hope, yeah, right? Um, and then he'll be commissioned as a Methodist pastor. And so this will be his first appointment as a pastor, but he has been 10 years in ministry and church as a lay person and as a leader in the church. And so we're very, very fortunate to have him. His family's here with us, his kids. Um, and the one thing I'm going to tell you is this is now the second sermon that Matt has ever had to preach without a pulpit, okay? He's <laughs> used to the pulpit, and I think robes, right? And so... Cassock. Cassocks. So this is hard for him, and he feels very alone and vulnerable with just this poor music stand, and so y'all be nice to him and welcome him. We're glad to have you, Matt. Good morning, church. And when Pastor Laura first showed me the space, I was like, so does the pulpit kind of roll out? Or, uh, and I was joking with her that I would probably just construct a mobile one in my office and I would roll it up here so that every time I preached, y'all could just hear the wheels just squeaking as it came up. Um, I do want to say thank you uh, to all of you who have been uh, welcoming up to this point uh, and have kind of helped uh, my family get situated. It, the transition seems like it's going just too smoothly, that I'm just waiting for something to happen where it's just not going to be smooth anymore. Uh, But for those of you in the office who have been keeping me in the loop and and making sure I know things that I'm supposed to know, uh, thank you. For those of you who have been sending information uh, about housing and about jobs, uh, closer to here so that she doesn't have to drive an hour uh, to work. So uh, thanks again. I really appreciate that. Um, I've had the opportunity to visit with some of you in depth. Some of you have already asked me some really hard questions uh, in our interview times and things like that. Uh, For most of you, though, here today, this is going to be our first conversation together, this sermon. And I like to, uh, appropriately, um, I think confessions are a good way to start a relationship 
And so the confession I have for you today is I do not understand the fascination that the church has with foot washing because I can't stand feet. Um, <laughs> when I was listening to the Alabaster Jar song, I was like, oh gosh, kiss feet. I, I, that image. Uh, I've spent my whole life trying to shoo feet away from me. It's, it's a phobia and it's a little irrational. I know. I don't know how to explain it. When I was younger, I would occasionally, I was Roman Catholic, and, and I would go to church, and I would hear a good homily, and it would inspire me to come home and be the best Christian that I could be, or pursue holiness. Even then, I was Wesleyan. I just didn't know it. But of course, when you are young, that means certain things. It means that you come home, maybe you clean your room, you don't argue with your parents, uh, you don't fight with your siblings. But as it turns out, my siblings rarely, if ever, supported my pursuits toward holiness. We would come home from church, and they would see these valiant attempts to be holy, and they would start to put their feet in my personal space, <laughs> because they knew that in their hearts, they knew that an unholy mat would emerge eventually, and I would have to put my pursuit of holiness on pause, and the great war of feet shoeing and shaming would fill our household and these are the dynamics of a loving household, church. And when I read the scripture today, when I was listening to it, I immediately noticed that uh, this is not the normal gathering of sinners that we see uh, often associated with Jesus. The scripture is very clear that these are people um, that Jesus cares for deeply. There's Mary and Martha and they have a, a very intimate relationship with Jesus. In fact, they call him out at several points, and they seem to have Jesus like on call for emergencies. When Lazarus was sick, their brother, they called him. And when they, they call him out because uh, they say things like, you know, Jesus, had you been here, our brother would not have died. And then there's, uh, there's Lazarus. And it's, it, I'm under the opinion that if you can make someone cry, particularly if that someone is Jesus, you have a special bond with them, uh, much less if, if Jesus raises you from the dead. There is a connection there. And then you have the disciples, and we all knew kind of the relative dysfunction that existed in those relationships. They were always asking Jesus hard questions like, who is greater, who comes first, and Jesus would have to rebuke them, and they would rebuke each other, and they would fight amongst themselves. But the point is, is that this was an intimate gathering. A group of people who knew each other well and, as far as we can tell, loved each other very, very deeply. They spent time supporting one another, they spent time disappointed one another, and they spent time calling one another out. And these are the dynamics of a loving household. But the most touching scene, at least for me, is when Mary takes the nard or perfume, breaks that alabaster jar, pours it over Jesus' feet, and then unbinds her hair to wipe his feet. Now, I want to pause on this gesture for just a moment, because anointing the feet of guests at a meal was not a common Jewish custom. The custom that we, are usually, that we usually see is the anointing of a king, and the oil is broken over their head, and it's usually done by a priest who is male. The other part that's, not, uh, that's rather unusual is, is the way she uses her hair. She doesn't use her cloth, the cloth or any of her clothes. She unbinds her hair 
and with her hair wipes Jesus' feet. And in those days, a woman might be considered, she might be considered to have loose morals uh, by using her hair in this way. But my favorite line of the whole section, and this is the one I want to dwell on for just a moment, it goes like this, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And smells are a funny thing. If I could narrow down my irrational uh, distaste for feet, it might come down to smells. But they can mask, um, they can uh, linger, and they can alter an entire atmosphere. How many of y'all have ever sat around a campfire? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's like a pastime. It's a very comforting thing to do. And the smell of the smoke, is, is, it can be sweet depending on the wood you use, right? But let's say you sat around that campfire with your favorite sweatshirt. And then after you're done sitting by the fire, you go inside, you take off your favorite sweatshirt, and all you smell is that smoke still, right? And because it's your favorite sweatshirt, you're not going to wash it. You're just going to hang it up uh, for next time, right? So you can come back a week later, take that sweatshirt, put it on, and you still smell that smoke. So then you realize, well, maybe I should wash this sweatshirt. Um, And you put it with other clothes, and as it sits there with other clothes and water, it's like the smell just kind of goes into the other clothes. So Mary's precious offering takes on some new significance, and Judas rebukes Mary's gift. In this gospel, in the other gospels, it's actually all the disciples that say this. But they claim that they could have sold the perfume and gave money to the poor. And Jesus responds to Judas's rebuke quickly, kind of like a parent would respond to a child. Hey, leave her alone. Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So not only is Mary pushing some social norms here and the boundaries of acceptable actions that you would uh, make toward a person like Jesus, but the action itself is unleashing a sweet aroma, not just for her and for Jesus, but for the entire household. And this is, this is, where I think, this is what I think the scripture is actually trying to tell us here. I firmly believe that Jesus is telling us something fundamental about discipleship and the effects that discipleship can have on those around us. Mary is giving something of great value, and she is being ridiculed by those closest to her. Now, when I reflect on my own thoughts and actions, thinking about this verse, thinking about how can I be like Mary who gives so freely and so abundantly I realize that, you know, when I give freely and abundantly, it's usually to things I like doing. It's usually to things that I know others will find acceptable. Say, for example, you ask me to go out to eat, which I hope you all do at some point. (laughs) I'm going to be like, yes, I'm all in. I'm all in. Or if you ask me to a game night, I'll offer to bring the drinks, okay? Non-alcoholic, of course. Or you want to go watch a Marvel movie. It's actually my favorite thing that y'all should ask me to do. Absolutely, I will even buy the tickets for all of us. But I think it's a different story when it comes to church-related matters. A Bible study you want me to go to? You say, well, I gotta, let me check my schedule. 
And then I got to check my kid's schedule. Then I got to check my wife's schedule. And then I got to check my grandmother's schedule. But I'll get back to you, right? Or a prayer meeting. Well, what, what are we going to be praying for? And, and how long are we going to be praying together? I find it amazing how quickly conditions and rules can uh, come rushing in when it comes to church related matters or matters pertaining to God. Am I the only one with this problem? Y'all don't have to raise your hands, don't worry. Because it's not your fault. I think we've approached the church, uh, you know, I think we've approached God for a very long time in a way that we shouldn't have approached God in the first place. You see, we think we can name the terms and the conditions of our relationship with God. Lord, I'll promise to do this if you promise to do that. And the problem with this mentality is it creates a sense of obligation in our relationship with God. Not, not on God, but actually on us. And a relationship that is based on term and condition is a transactional relationship. It's the type of relationship that we make with the folks cutting our lawn or the electric company. They will offer a service. We will offer money. As long as those two things happen, we have a relationship. But if they don't, there is no relationship there. Because conditions, I think, in terms make things neat and clean for us. And at the end of the day, they make us comfortable. But they make our relationship with God, I think, more a relationship of convenience. And I think we sometimes approach God like this. Because I think deep down, if we are honest, God is... God is actually terrifying. One of the things I like doing is I like looking at those videos where they, they focus in on like a, a, an eye or a person and then it just quickly starts to focus out and focus out and focus out and focus out and you realize there's just billions and billions of stars in our galaxy and that means that there's billions and billions of solar systems which means that there's billions and billions of planets just like ours and I realize that that is God Almighty, the creator of all of those things the Alpha and the Omega. And I think sometimes we just brush that aside. Maybe something closer to home. The same God who loved Peter is the same God who also loved Judas. God is wild, and God does not operate on our conditions or our terms. But there is good news. God made a covenant with us. God made a covenant with us. God didn't draw up terms and conditions like you would with your lawn care company. God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. This, this is an unshakable reality. It's a reality that just is and it's grounded in the love of Christ who came finally for all time, for all people, so that all of us can be reconciled to God. And this is not a transactional move by God. Because God says something like this. He says, I'm going to love you even if you don't love me back. God says through Christ, I'm going to give you all of me even if you don't give all of yourselves. There's a security there that God wants us to live into and that security is the love God has for us. And that is the basis for the covenant God has made with us. And Mary exemplifies how this covenant can look. 
Mary's devotion of love to Jesus should inspire us to let go of everything that hinders our freedom to love Jesus. Mary invites us to kneel at Jesus' feet, as uncomfortable as that sounds to me, placing there our heart's treasures and maybe our earthly possessions. And this is the first marker of discipleship. It's a disposition, it's a, it's a condition of heart that lives into the reality that God's love for us is pure gift. And this is the motivation for Mary's action. She rested securely in that gift, in the love of Christ. And she could love Jesus freely without fear and without hesitation. So as I thought on this, a question came to mind, and, and that question was how? How much easier then should it be for us to love Christ? Because we know the full knowledge of his completed work that was lifted up for us on the cross. Apparently the answer is is that it's, it's very difficult. Something that's weighed heavily on my heart and mind recently, and I know you've spoken about it here at Bee Creek, because I've been watching your service, not in a freaky way, just watching the service online. (laughs) But yeah, I've thought a lot about General Conference. I've thought a lot about um, the turmoil that the church I love is in. Our global household is at odds. And we have rebuked one another. We have reprimanded one another. And sometimes I, I sometimes hear echoes of Judas's voice just kind of accusing one another of different things. And I remember... Specifically watching the live stream, as I know y'all were glued to it, right? Because uh, it was riveting. Uh, but watching it, it finally dawned on me. These are the dynamics of a loving household. All the characters were present, except I didn't see Mary. I thought, where are the ones convicted of God's love, who would pour perfume over the feet of Jesus and and cast a great aroma that would overtake that household. Because when we learn to live into God's love, not as something earned, not as something won, not as something that we can vote on, but as something received, just as a gift, there's a deep movement that happens within us, a deep churning And it provokes in us a witness of God's unconditional love to all of those around us. A witness that embodies an action of true discipleship. Because in the middle of that loving household we read about in Scripture, where they were rebuking one another, reprimanding one another, accusing one another, it was Mary who modeled devotion. And Mary's actions, like the aroma of the perfume, altered the atmosphere and spread into every crook and cranny of that household. It's been a great day today, church. I'm excited to be here. I'm trying to show it, but I I am. I really am excited to be here. I'm excited uh, to see what God is going to do with us. I'm excited to, to travel these different journeys of discovery with you. Um, But we should get something straight. 
uh, with one another real quick, because we need to be honest, is that uh, I know that you're going to put your feet into my space. <laughs> and, I, and I hope it's metaphorically, because I don't want any of your feet actually in my space. But I'm also going to put my feet into your space. I think we're going to have hard conversations, but I think we will also have wonderful conversations. We will cry together, hopefully tears of joy. But I think we will also laugh together. That's the part I'm looking forward to most. And you will discover opportunities, I hope not too many, but you will discover opportunities to call me out. And I think I will also discover opportunities to call you out. But we will also discover opportunities to call each other back in. Because these are the dynamics of a loving household. So church, we are going to love together. And it is my hope and my prayer that that love will be rooted in God's unconditional covenantal love for us. Amen, church? Amen. Yeah, Shauna, would you come up one more time? <laughs> I'd like to, to pray for them. We're, we're all going to pray for them together. I'll say the words and y'all just be praying for them because this is a big move for them and their kids and we're going to pray that God makes a space for y'all, for your family. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for this appointment and for the Cardona family coming to live and to serve at Bee Creek. We are so glad that they are here. I pray first of all for their kids. I pray that you would be making a place for them, teachers and classrooms and a school and especially a best friend in a new place can make all the difference, Lord. So please prepare that space for their kids. I pray for Shauna and her search for a job. Um, her calling to be a special education teacher and a director even. And I pray not only that you'd help her to find a job here that would be a blessing and a provision for her family, but that you would send her to a place where they need her and her skills could be a blessing to so many students in our area. We pray for Pastor Matt. We're so excited about his commissioning coming up, about um, the finality of seminary, um, closing that chapter and opening the next one. And I pray that you would give him strength for the days ahead for finals and for commissioning and just help him to receive all of that with joy and bring him to us on in a part-time way on May 1st and then full-time at a date that we will figure out whenever the conference says. Uh, we're excited, Lord, and we're thankful that they're going to be part of our family. We know that we will be richer because of them, and we pray your blessing on them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, thanks you guys again for standing up here. Let's stand.